Welcome to Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If you are a person that is tired of apologizing for being you, you know, the human part of you that sometimes feels like it has to be different at home versus work versus play, the human side that just wants to be hot, humble, open, and transparent about your wants, desires, and uniqueness. If you answered yes, this podcast is for you. Join me, Emily Elrod, as I dive into conversations with amazing guests about what they are not sorry for in creative and loving ways. Let's get started. Today, I have Gary with me, who is, what do y'all say, across the pond? Um, (laughs) In London, you'll be able to quickly tell from his accent, but... I'm excited for you to hear Gary about what he is not sorry for. And before we get into the show, I do want to ask you to please continue to like, subscribe, and share as the goal of this podcast is to connect people and to learn about humanity and stop apologizing for things that we keep saying sorry for, even though we're humans. So let's get started. Gary, how are you today? I am doing really well. Thanks so much for the invitation, Emily. I just love the name of your show. I have it's awesome. Well, thank you so much. So let's get into that. Unapologetically bold. What are you not sorry for? Yeah, it took me many years, but I'm not sorry for being vulnerably me. So for actually showing up as the human being you see in front of you. I love it. So what led you to this? Cool. I don't know how many minutes you've got, Emily, but I'll give you the short version. Um, but no, in a nutshell, so I was um, bullied psychologically and physically as a, as a young person, and I wasn't emotionally mature enough at that time, like many people in the 80s and, and 90s, you know, we've not been taught, Emily, emotion, you know, what does it mean to feel, what does it mean to process, what does it mean to sit in emotion, and actually for emotion to be okay, so I took that with me for the next 25 years, which I've had a good life, you know, very, very grateful, I'm very privileged, but what's fascinating to answer your question is that five years ago, age 39, I had the nice, I had the posh car, had the job title, had the great house, everything the outside world has taught us matters, mm-hmm. and I felt hollow, absolutely empty, and I was just like, just got curious, I was like, well, how can I have everything I've been taught for like the last 39 years matters in the world, and I feel empty, and I want to make a really clear distinction, that was Gary Turner, Inside Empty. Like my relationship was great, my job was great. And I think it's a really important distinction that when we realize that the stuff outside of us doesn't dictate our experience of life, everything opens up. And really that's been a very narrow, condensed version of what's gone on the last uh, the last five years. I love it. And the part that I love the most hearing is how you want to own your life instead of letting the environment or circumstances own you. So how would you advise people to even get to this point of owning yourself and like loving and being vulnerable, being a human who, what we say is hot, humble, open, and transparent. What would you say to that? I want to save you thousands of dollars of investment. Cause I spent like probably $15,000 in the last five years, um, understanding this stuff. I'm not saying don't spend that if it's the right thing for you. I'm just making a bit of a joke about it because my invitation, I don't like to give advice. I've learned how to give an invitation to people. And that invitation is 
explore your inner landscape. Mm -hmm. So understand what, what do you believe right now? And even more than that, why do you believe it? Because that belief might be from when you was four years old. It might be what your parents told you back in 1960 or 70 or 80 was a truth. And you took it as a truth innocently and accidentally because your parents told you. So like check in with those beliefs and actually go like, does that still serve me and what I'm trying to do in the world? Yes, keep it. If not, get rid of it. And I think if nothing else, um, Emily, the last eight weeks, we've realized that we can drop our beliefs like that. Like it is possible. We just need to make that choice. And I love that. That's a part of that growth mindset. Um, how important is it to have a, to feel and believe that no matter what life is thrown at you, that you can adapt, overcome, retrain your thinking, retrain your mindset. It's critically important. And I, but what, what I want to put a caveat around that is like, you don't need to do it on your own. Like <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's finding the community that lifts you up as well, because I'm writing a book at the moment actually called Change is an Inside Job because I believe that change is an inside job. It's all about ourselves inside out. However, if the environment that surrounds you is uplifting, challenging, healthily, growth-fueled, it helps accelerate your internal growth. So whilst I would, yeah, I don't believe we need the external environment to help us grow, but if that's healthy, if it's growth-fueled, then it helps amplify that even quicker, Emily, I would say. And the other part that I hear in that is, again, going back to the growth, but the, I love that you call it an inside job. I'll say I talked on a podcast earlier in a little bit. The One of the questions was, and I was talking about my story about having my child out of wedlock. And he's like, how did you like overcome the haters? And I'm like, the biggest hater was myself. Like I was my biggest critic. So for me, it was such an inside job and it's such an inside work because I did have the community. So for people that maybe have a community, but their self, like what steps or what ways or what invitations can people take to get to that part that it's okay to be a human? Such a big question. It sounds such an easy, it sounds such an easy question, doesn't it? Um, I'd really start with, so something that I've learned in the last couple of years is a little practice or um, a, an experiment you can run is take an A4 piece of paper, put a line down the middle, and on the left-hand side, write down um, the path that you're currently walking on. So based on the relationships, the family setup, the job I'm doing, I think in 40 years time, it will look like X. Yeah, so almost like writing your obituary. So like it's the last day on the planet. What does that look like today? And then do, on the right-hand side, write down what you would love that to be when it's your final day. What does that look and feel like? And just compare the two and go like, which, which, which path am I on? And which one do I want to be on? Because that will then open up a whole range of different conversations for yourself. Yes, and it's, oh. And the thing that I love is you are literally thousands of miles away. And we talked about this too. It's like the, we both have these thought processes and it's assumed that our culture and our environment are so different. That's like what's taught to me as an American that, you know, America first, you know, and all these, th but people from London, people from Australia, it does not matter where you're at. So let's talk about that and how a lot of our thinking, like you said, it can be from childhood 
or your bullying, how much did that impact you? And what thinking back did you have to do to be able to be okay with it or forgive it almost? Such a brilliant question because I just want to pick up on the word you said, thinking. Mm-hmm. Like we create our reality. So we're going to get a bit spiritual now. And I've only realized this the last 18 months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We create our reality. Like even in COVID-19, like it's crazy. Like we can't underestimate the job losses and how crazy the world is. But that experience that you're having of COVID-19 is only your one. Like no one else on this planet is having that experience. So like, it's like, so understanding that we create our reality through our thinking, it's not easy. It can be challenging, but that's my starting point to answer that question is actually realize that you literally are one changed thought away from experiencing a tragic situation completely differently. Mm -hmm. I just want to hold that there for a second for you. I love that because we speak about how our thoughts lead to our feelings, which leads to our actions, to our behaviors. But 97% of the time we stay in our feelings. But that one thought can really transform your life. So what was that one thought for you? And how did you get to even, because people sometimes are like, oh, it's like this massive event or it's all these things that like, like, well, you have a story because you had your child out of wedlock. Like what? But it's not always that way. Everybody has their own perceptions. They have their own life. It's all unique. What was it for you? So I had these sort of two steps. I had that first step, which was the four years ago, you know, like had everything the outside world said was success, realized that it wasn't all about that. So that started me on one path. But the big, big shift for me was about two years ago, Emily, where I went on um, a three-day retreat. So I actually burnt myself out um, around three years ago. And it wasn't a severe burnout, but it was like, I had to get out of the office, went to the coast for three days. Like I was in my head, like massively in my head thinking again overthinking but what happened to me on the second day of that retreat i literally sat there and from nowhere i just went oh my god it wasn't the fact that i challenged bullying in the workplace and was told to go away it wasn't the fact that someone told me that i was playing an element of my job those things happened they shouldn't have it was unethical but it's what i told myself about me on hearing those things that created my experience. So when my when that person said, you're not good enough, or go away for bullying, I then said, Gary, you're not good enough. Oh, you're getting bullied again. It all happens in the moment, click, click, click. But it's just this, that was a really big moment for me two years ago when I sat there and just went, oh my God, like, it doesn't matter what someone tells me, it's what I tell myself internally on hearing that, that mm-hmm. creates my reality. So uh-huh. it's, there's a correlation, but not a causation is an important distinction. Ah, that's so true too, that it is because it's that victim mentality versus the victor mentality. Cause if it's a cause to you, then you can't overcome it at times. But if it's a correlation, it's something that it's on your speech, but oh, there's so many things I want to grab on this one. Cause it's so good. One thing I hear is the, who is saying it to you and the self-awareness that you had to even to know that. So talk about the importance of emotional intelligence, which is to basically study yourself and how that played a huge role on you getting to your where you are. And as a white male, 
why it's okay to study yourself. Why is it okay to have these emotions? Why is it because it's this stoic, you know, we're taught to be a certain way. There's so many directions we could go in for that, but I, but I think let, let's, let's look at the macro political situation at the moment. Like, what are we dealing with? We're dealing with a lack of ability to empathize with another human being. Like, it doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter where you come from in the world. It's just a lack of seeing each other as human. Yeah. And that's the starting point. Like, the reason I can talk as I do now is because I see you as a human. I see everybody as a human being first. And that doesn't take away the lived experience that people have gone through to layer up the thinking. But like, let, let's think about it for a minute, Emily. If we decouple like, even the most extreme challenges we're seeing with riots all over the world, that's all thinking. Like at the base level of everything that's going on is just overthinking. So if we actually sat in a bar by you, around the corner from you right now, seven and a half billion people in the bar, all different hues, skin colors, having a beer, having a chat, like, we would be fine if we weren't overthinking and going, oh, but you're this or you're that, or my mum told me this or my mum told me that. And I'm sorry I've gone a little bit off, off piste, but like, I just think it's that whole, that's emotional intelligence for me, is to, to, to realise that it's okay to be different and to celebrate that difference. Like that, that for me is the ultimate emotional intelligence, is to look at somebody else that doesn't look like you and go, you are equally valuable to, as I am. Like that, that, that's the foundation for EI for me. And I love that too, because what I say about the body is that on the inside, we're all the same. We all have the same physiological processes. On the outside, we may have different hues of skin color, or we may have some different lived experiences, but the body still runs the same. We still need a heartbeat. You still need a heart. You need blood. You need a lot that's created within you. And tapping into that and understanding that you're a human at home, work, and play, and we all come with our new unique perspectives. Um, I'll say the other day we were driving and I was in the back seat of a car with um, one of my girlfriends and her two-year-old said, we were looking out this window and I looked out his window and he said, don't look out my window. Like the perception is, is that's everybody's window. And I feel like that's a perception like that this is everybody's world that we're all all, in, but there's people that are basically out there like that two-year-old and saying, this is my window. This is my thought. This is how I view life. And I'm the only one that's allowed to view through it. So what would you talk about that and how our perceptions create our reality and challenging some of those? Yeah, it all comes back to empathy for me. Like, and I don't talk from the point because we can't walk in each other. So some people talk about empathy being walking in someone else's shoes. But I'm not sure we can do that because we've only got our lived experience. But what we can do is be curious. So we can say, actually, so Emily, what's your experience of living in the US? Yeah, like what's going on for you right now? And how do you feel about that? And what comes up for you when you experience that? It's like, oh, wow, okay. Well, let me tell you about my experience being based in London around X, Y, Z. And I think it comes back to, and you spoke to it already in our conversation tonight, it's slowing down. It's being present to ourselves and to somebody else to be able to experience together. Because if you're running at 80 miles an hour that direction, and I'm going 100 miles an hour that direction. We can't do anything but be misaligned. Mm -hmm. But if we spend the time to go, hey, we're both going to be going at the same pace and we're going to deliberately and intentionally, and that's an important word, get to know each other and understand what you like, what do you not like, what frustrates you. What, like, we just don't spend the time to, to, to nurture human relationships. 
and I think that's what we're now sitting in now is everybody's sensing and seeing because we are going at, we are situated in place we are running at 50 miles an hour not 100 miles an hour so we've all got and I'd invite anyone watching us now think about what you like and what you don't like about your life up until eight weeks ago and what do you want to take forward because you've got the choice right now and that's pretty damn exciting and that is and the cool thing about it too is that it's a part of letting that fear go too because fear literally cuts off innovation and curiosity and growth and we have the ability to embark humanity back again and that's the thing that we've talked about in the past how exciting that is so in america we have this saying called the curiosity killed the cat it's a horrible saying but I remember the first time that I ha was being curious and asking why. And they're like, well, curiosity killed the cat. I'm like, well, good thing I'm not a cat. You know, I'm a human. So why is there so much importance on being vulnerable and curiosity and the correlation between the two? Yeah, that's a cracking question. <laughs> if we go back a step, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because like, as we get, you know, you can look at any report, World Economic Forum, you know, everybody's talking about the fact that as we have more technological advancement, it's our deeply human skills that are going to help us navigate. And look at us right now, like you and I speaking across, you know, StreamYard right now, completely different parts of the world, but having a great conversation. That wouldn't have happened 20 years ago. So I think that the point is for us now is we've got the ability with technology as a tool mm -hmm. I think this is a really important point. Technology is an aid to humans, not the other way around. And I think the more we step into that, the more we can actually unleash our humanity because we've got the tools to help us do that. Yeah. And I just think it's something that we've been missing for so long now is we, we've believed we've had to be the rope. Like we've been robots. Like we've been robots for the last hundred years, like cogs in a machine. Like now we're in this situation where we can be our fullest, brightest, most brilliant self. But to do that, we need to own our narrative. And if we don't own that story that maybe we've been hiding behind or afraid to share or not had that difficult conversation, then we stay small. But we've got a great opportunity to be the fullest version of ourselves right now. And that will take courage and it will take vulnerability and it will take curiosity. But we um, don't have to do it alone. We don't have to do it alone again. And, and that's the cool part is, oh, there's so many things I want to go here too. Uh, productivity and how much that's forced down us. And then you have, you've seen the success you've been, and you've climbed the success ladder. That was what I found is, is a falsehood at times because we feel like we're going to keep filling our bucket up somehow by getting to the next level and the next level of success. So talk about success and the importance of true success. What would true success be for you and how has vulnerability helped in it? You really are. I've got some good questions. Where'd you get these from? Um, <laughs> that measure has clearly changed a lot over the last few years. And I think I'll come back to that exercise about writing the two obituaries, um, Emily. So I can visualize in my head and visualization is a helpful part. Like in the past, five years ago, it would have been how much money in the bank? What's my job title? Today is how am I remembered? Have I left the world in a place better than when I found it? Do people remember me with a smile or with a frown? Like, that's success for me. Like, it's really deeply human, intrinsic factors. Like, you know, do my, will my stepkids remember me and go, I'm glad that he was my, they were my step, he was my stepdad? Like, 
there is nothing in my measure of success now that has anything to do with money. Not one single one, Emily. I love it. And what made you get to that point? Because too many times I've had people get later on in their life and I do a lot with health and happiness and purpose. And I'm speaking with people that are in their um, late 50s, late 60s and 70s, and they just now have this epiphany. So what invitation could you give to people to start now to, to that money isn't everything? So what, what would you say to them? I would say, you know, I don't want to underplay, you know, you just think about like base Maslow's hierarchy. Yeah, we need, we want to put a roof over our head, et cetera. But let's assume that that's, that's covered. <laughs> like what, what makes your heart sing? Like what's the thing that makes you, your heart flutter? And actually, I'd also invite you to actually check in with your gut. Your, you can call it your gut, you can call it your heart. Like when you make decisions, when, you're, when you get that, oh my God, feeling, like breathe, check in with it and find out what it's telling you instead of just reacting to it or worse, dismissing it. Because so many, like my wife, my friends, so many people in my life have had that feeling come up so strongly, Emily. They've suppressed it. They've, they've said, no, I'm not going to follow that. 99% of the time, it's been a regret. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know if um, any of your viewers have heard, heard of heart math. And heart math do a lot of research. And actually, they've shown that the heart is 5,000 times, frequency-wise, more powerful than the brain. Mm -hmm. So we really do need, we need both. But we shouldn't ignore what our heart or our gut's telling us when we feel that signal. We really need to get in touch with that. And that's been a big shift. And I love that because what we talk about is physiologically that the gut is serotonin and 90% of your serotonin is produced in your gut. And it's that safety and that's feeling that sense of connection and that you can come up and you can have conversations. And how many, I'll say not until I was in my master's degree and I was like, everybody can feel their gut. Like whenever you eat, like you can feel your food, like going out and like, uh, no, you're crazy come to find out I suppress that. And it took many years to figure out that my stomach lining is full of ulcers. And it was because of suppressing my gut and suppressing these feelings that I wanted to say and just bringing it in. It's called somatizing and, and, and keeping it in and not doing anything about it, which was against my values. So I am all for and all about listening to yourself so when did it hit for you that, hey, <laughs> I got to start listening? So it's between that four years ago, to be honest. It, it, it was that moment of like, I'm hollow. Like, I feel completely empty despite having everything. That was definitely the trigger. But I think what's really exciting is once you, so this will make you laugh, Emily. So I called it a midlife awakening and not a midlife crisis at all. Like when, when I had that moment, age 39, it wasn't a case of like, oh my God, my life's ended. It was like, oh my God, I think I'm just getting going. This is awesome. <laughs> so I think, I think for me, it, 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 that curiosity piece, like think about it as a kid, like for anyone that's watching us now, that's got children or they've got stepkids or they've got some, some young person in their life, particularly under the age of two, look in their eyes. Like there's nothing but wonder and experience and curiosity. But as we go through life, we lose it. It gets beaten out of us by the system. Like, so my invitation is like, be playful again. Start playing, like come up with crazy ideas, um, play stupid game, 
you know, do the whole thing. What do they call it, um, Emily, where you have the, um, the stick <laughs> yeah. on your head? You have, you have to guess what each, you've got on your head. What, you know, but generally, just start playing more. Like, because the more we start playing, the more everything opens up and we start getting curious again. Like, we've stopped playing as adults. And I think that's probably the number one biggest trigger to getting back to curiosity is, is by playing a lot more. I love that. And I love, and also you talked about how we're at times that we're system or the, I call it the machine and how like systems can, can go against us. I want to say if you're a parent, don't be that system because there's too many times that the kids ask why we get annoyed to death by it. And we just want to say, because I said so. But then what if that happens to us at work and how many times has it happened to us at work or at home or at play because I said so? Invoke that curiosity. And what would you say to people that possibly might stop it and, and might be like, oh, I don't want to tell them why. I don't want to deal with this today. Think, I, I talk about this in terms of what's the opportunity cost? So what's the cost of you not doing that? Yeah, so think about for this just this momentary act that you're not taking, what are you giving away? So that one conversation that might lead to a really great discussion or a debate that you'd learn from, or maybe it's that thing you keep holding back on that you've been scared to discuss, but would propel you forward five years in your thinking or your career. Like, I like to think about this as a slingshot, Emily. Like, the stuff that we don't want to do, we probably should, because that's actually the universe saying to you, like, knock, 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 it's your time. Like, you can take this or not. That's mm -hmm. what I think generally. And I'll say in America, there's this thing, a comedian that says, here's your sign. And that, here's your sign, world. <laughs> here's your sign that you need to be vulnerable, to look inside. And I am so blessed that you, Gary, have thought and, and did this and your story. And again, you're across literally the world and you're speaking to things that relate to me in America that also relate to people all over the world. And it gives humanity such a bigger perspective in my opinion. So any last final thoughts or comments or words? I'd just love to leave your kind viewers today with a reflection, which is how comfortable are you not having all the answers? Or how comfortable are you saying to somebody, I need help? Or how comfortable are you to saying to somebody, I'm really struggling? Because as soon as you are able to, or the more you practice, and what I love about things like courage and vulnerability and listening, all of our deeply human traits, we can practice them. Like we can develop them, they're like muscles, like we can get better at them. So I'll just invite you that if any of these deeply human elements feel really alien to you, and I can understand why, due to the systems we've grown up in, find Emily, find myself, find others, and just find a safe place to get some accountability partner and just practice because you will get better at this stuff. And it is every one of these things, whether it's listening, courage, vulnerability, they're like magnets. The more you role model it, the more other people are attracted to you. When I share the story like I've shared with you, the number of people I've connected with Emily in the last two years, my network's gone from that to that because people are drawn in by humanity. It doesn't repel. Fear repels. 
humanity draws in. That's probably what I'd leave you with. I love it. You're so awesome. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation. I know I've taken so much from it. So I know the people listening in and I see that Christina loved this session and that sums it up. This is an amazing session that I know will impact people. Even if it's just one person, I feel like it's going to impact somebody for their life. And so I'm blessed and grateful and thankful for you for being open, for being a hot human that's humble, open and transparent and vulnerable to be able to say, hey, I'm not sorry for being vulnerable with me. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Emily. It's been an absolute joy. And again, I'm with you. If we, if we help one person, it's been worth doing. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If this touched you in any way, please like and subscribe and share with your friends as we continue the message of being unapologetically bold by being hot humans who are humble, open, and transparent. See you next time.